I was progressing in my career, but I found that, you know, with progressing up, it equaled a lot more loneliness for one, being sometimes one of few women, usually being, you know, one of the only women of color. And so it was a little bit isolating. And, you know, just the work relationships that I had, I just felt like I was kind of betraying more and more of me or leaving more and more of me at home to progress in this career. And I, I was at a point where I was like, what is this all for? <laughs> and so I quit. And welcome to Working Your Way, the podcast dedicated to unraveling the journey of being authentic in the workplace. Today is my very first guest. Her name is Takesha Harvey, and she's a good friend of mine. So she's about to share the roles that she takes on at work. And I say roles with an S because she has what I would consider a portfolio career. And that's both having different roles in within organizations, but also doing some things that are a little more entrepreneurial. Um, and the way that she puts her work out into the world is more of a mosaic or a portfolio than a linear career path. In this episode, we cover everything from being the only in the workplace, in this case, the only woman of color, to practicing radical self-love and talking about how that can help us be more authentic in our careers. So thank you so much for joining and I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Welcome to the Working Your Way podcast. And I'm here with my very first guest ever. I could not have it any other way. Takesha Harvey, welcome. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm really happy to have you here. I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. Good. Well, tell me why. Because we always have good talks and it always starts out one way. And then I feel like it's a little bit of therapy because you have like this little insight or something. And so I think I'm just answering questions and then all of a sudden I'm self-reflecting and finding epiphanies. And so... <laughs> occupational hazard of being friends with me is that you have to have like deep life revelations on a regular basis. <laughs> Luckily, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I know you are. And that is why I'm thrilled to have you on today. So why don't we start out? I'll, I'll give you a little intro space and just why don't you tell me what is the title that you use at work? And in your case, it's titles. And it's something I want to talk about today with your awesome kind of mosaic portfolio career. Yeah, usually, depending on the audience, I usually start off with my my current job title, which is Managing Partner, Head of Marketing at Flower Hire. I say it's a, a recruiting company. It's a cannabis recruiting company that finds people executive jobs in cannabis. And then I say I also publish a, uh, I've created and published a cannabis magazine for women designed to help educate them on the benefits of cannabis and CBD from a lifestyle perspective. So I'm um, a little bit entrepreneur, a little bit working with us, a, I wouldn't necessarily call it a startup, but maybe a growth stage company, but still, you know, not corporate at all. And that, and then also working in cannabis is, it's always a fun thing to say and see what people, how people react. Yeah. And I do want to talk a little bit about how your career journey led you into cannabis as many people could say like a personal journey might lead you somewhere and, and a personal passion might lead you somewhere. But would you mind kind of just take us through like, what is the overall journey of your career been like? So you mentioned you're not in corporate now. What did yeah. that look like when you started out? Well, you know, I did the thing, you know, that parents want you to do. I will say I'm of Caribbean descent. So I have immigrant parents. 
from different countries in the Caribbean. I was actually born in the Bahamas. And so coming to America, it's like, you know, doing the American dream. Um, They instilled in us like, you know, hard work, going to college, getting a good job. So I did those things and started my career uh, working in New York City in fashion, uh, working as in the buying office at Macy's. Um, I spent six years in New York. And so I started at Macy's, moved over to Coach and then Ralph Lauren, uh, really working behind the scenes, doing merchandise planning, really numbers, analytical things. So very corporate, large corporations. And then after seven years, I was, you know, kind of burnt out on New York City. 9-11 happened while I lived there. And I decided I just wanted a break from working. You'll see this theme come up again. Um, And and I said, I'm going to go back to school. I went to graduate school full-time at the University of Maryland and got my MBA. And it was through that process that I really learned about, you know, brand management and marketing. I had you know, worked a bit in some brand, for some great brands, but really understood learning about how to apply that on a grander scale, like all of the the practice and the art that went in the science that went into brand management. And so I worked for eight years for ConAgra, um, ConAgra Brands, which is a huge consumer packaged goods company. And I lived in three different states um, working with them, you know, went in the corporate offices and two different sales offices and worked with like the, one of the second largest uh, grocery accounts in the U.S., uh, Kroger. And, you know, it was through that time that I just basically was like over at that point, I'd been like kind of working for 16 years in in a corporate spaces and really just got burnt out and fed up. You know, I consider myself a lifetime achiever and learner. And I, I was progressing in my career, but I found that, you know, with progressing up, it didn't, it, it, it equaled a, a lot more loneliness for one, being sometimes one of few women usually being, you know, one of the only women of color. And so it was a little bit isolating. And, you know, just the the work relationships that I had, I just felt like I was kind of betraying more and more of me or leaving more and more of me at home to progress in this career. And I I was at a point where I was like, what is this all for? (laughs) And so I quit. I uh, made a plan and quit my corporate job and became a, you know, a backpacker, if you will, but not a backpacker because I don't do backpacks. I do suitcases. But <laughs> slightly, slightly more a bougie, bougie backpacker. <laughs> yeah, yes, right. I was like, uh, not hostels. I'll do Airbnbs. But I, you know, traveled and was, you know, was a part of some co-working retreats and just met a bunch of people and which extended my travel. And, and from there, I started independent consulting, you know, using all the knowledge that I had to help like smaller businesses with branding and marketing strategies and reconnected with a former coworker who had started a uh, market research company focusing on cannabis. And that's actually how I got into the cannabis space. It was doing focus groups and surveys and product testing with cannabis consumers and patients, like helping cannabis brands understand their consumers. And it really changed my mind about one, the plant and what it was, because, you know, grew up in the, you know, the the uh, war on drugs era, the just say no era, and really start to, to understand. The, the dare classes in, oh, absolutely. in elementary right? school. Right. This is in, and they were saying, you know, they say marijuana, I say cannabis, but like they say, oh, it's the gateway drug. If you start using this, you're going to, next thing you'll be on crack. And <laughs> um, not true. And which is a lot of things that I learned and really found out about how this plant was helping people um, and how much people were using it for wellness. And um, just really got ignited around the industry because I, one, it was, there was a lot of people in it. Everyone's like very passionate about the plant. So there was not all the politics of, 
of previous, you know, corporations. The industry is super new. And so it's almost like it's not established yet to have all these rules and regulations and office politics. Now, they exist, but nowhere to the level of a traditional corporate environment. And so that was welcoming to me. In addition, um, having an entrepreneurial spirit is really needed in the space because, like I said, it's new and everyone's, you know, trying to figure it out. So you have to be a player and a coach and wanting to um, get in there and, and build out new processes and figure out how to do things better and, um, and then again, there's this, this camaraderie within the space that people have this passion for the plant. And so there's this purpose that is shared mm-hmm. that I feel like is so different than past environments. So um, that's what led me to cannabis. And within that space, like I said, after working with the research company, I started the magazine. And then um, two years later, or a year later, I started working with Flower Hire, still staying within cannabis and still doing the magazine as well. So... I, there's so many questions I want to ask you, and I want to talk about the the breaks from your career, because I obviously had um, a big one of those, or actually two of them myself. But I want to rewind a little bit to you going from working in New York fashion to you going in, to working in a Midwestern-based food company that sells, like, frozen dinners, you know, to retailers. For a dollar. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what was that? I mean, I have to imagine that was a very stark contrast in work environment, in how you felt about work. Maybe there were parts of you that you couldn't fully bring to work in both spaces, but they might have been different. Like, tell me a little bit more about that, like, switch. Yeah, absolutely. Completely different. And in one way, I remember I would tell people, like, I used to work on luxury. My last corporate job in New York was working at Ralph Lauren. I helped launch um, they or relaunched their accessories brand for the for uh, Ralph Lauren the stores, which had a price point of about you know handbags were like three thousand dollars, and I was like I went from working on really luxury high end um, apparel and accessories that was really only accessible to a few to working on you know Chef Boyardee and <laughs> and, and Banquet and Marie Callender brands that were household in like ninety five percent of households. So it was one, it was like, oh, now one, people understood what I did, like, because they had, they, there was 55 brands at ConAgra. Some, there was, someone had access to some of them in their house, you know, versus like when I say I'm working on Ralph Lauren um, collection handbags, people were like, what is that? You know, so one, in one way, it was like, oh, people now have a closer connection to what I do. But from a, um, a work standpoint, too, you know, New York City is a completely different, cultural environment to the Midwest. You know, I think that uh, one of the things I remember when I first moved to Chicago and getting on the phone and talking to people, I just get right down to business and people be like, whoa, wait, like you got to warm up. You know, you got to ask people about their kids. You got to talk about the weather a little bit. Like it's, it's the perception was you're not, you know, being like friendly if you're not if you're not asking uh, um, about something besides business first off. Whereas in New York, it's like, we get to business first, then we do the friendly talk. <laughs> um, so that was definitely a cultural adjustment. Um, in addition to fashion, like, you know, the, the cultures of the offices, you know, every office has their own little politics. Working in New York City, working for big brands, you're expected to show up as that brand. So, you know, decked out in, when I work for Coach, only Coach handbags. When I worked for Ralph Lauren, you were only in Ralph Lauren clothing. And um, and so that was that was part of the, the office culture, you know? So in terms of showing up as myself, well, myself 
did not, um, you know, meet the Ralph Lauren brand. Sorry, because you need to wear Ralph Lauren clothes. It was, it was definitely one of those markers of success. Like, how much do you understand the brand? Um, and then working at ConAgra, same. You're, you're expected to really, you know, partake and eat the foods that you're, that you're the brands that we're working on, because that's part of the company's success. You know, I was like, I don't, I don't eat Chef Wardy. Um, I'm, veg- I'm vegetarian now. I did say that. <laughs> like, I'm vegetarian. I can't gluten, gluten thing. I can't eat the pasta now. But, um, you know, so there's like these different nuances, but yet and still each of them, I think every office, every business has their own kind of culture code. And a lot of times they weren't necessarily built for people like me, a black woman, you know, of Caribbean descent, you know, so fitting, it's always some morphing and some shifting that you had, that I felt I had to do in order to fit in, um, be understood, be seen, uh, and progress in my career. I was really interested in asking Takesha about this moment because this kind of juxtaposition in her career is really interesting, not just from a business sense of having two very different types of brands that she was representing, but in the work environment of going from this fast-paced fashion job in New York to a Midwestern-based food company that's really rooted in tradition. And not many of us have this kind of side-by-side comparison and experience, but I think it can really help us learn about what we want in our careers. If we can tune into how we feel in each of these different environments. And I think the reality is that in a new job, so many of us are kind of singularly focused on learning and performing in this new place and making a name for ourselves that we don't really stop to tune into how the place makes us feel and What important data is there for us in that process in our own career progression? I think assimilating to a culture is inevitable in some ways in the sense that like we're working for an organization that has some built-in structures and, and norms. But where a company culture or a leader in particular is asking you to conform to one way of doing things or really one way of showing up, or even worse, of leaving parts of your identity at home. I think this is where it really becomes problematic and where it can really negatively impact our well-being. So here we're going to dig deeper into what navigating that really looked like for her. What do you feel like in those were the parts of that in in the, you know, I, I think about assimilation versus conformity, where it's like, to some extent, you're working for any company you assimilate to their way of working or you wear the clothes, right? Maybe things like that. But then there's parts of it that are, and you mentioned this, like you had to leave parts of yourself at home or parts that feel like a little more abandonment than um, assimilation. Like what, what were the parts that were maybe acceptable to take on and not acceptable to take on? For myself, I remember feeling like culturally, um, like, Black culture was not something that was as acceptable in the workplace as because it wasn't part of the dominant culture. Now, granted, I'm a, I'm a little bit older, um, so that that has shifted a bit. But I remember being in some of those spaces, and uh, for example, BET Black Entertainment Network versus MTV, and being like there would be shows or or music or things that would be on BET, and if I brought that up, no one knew what I was talking about. And they would just give, look at me blankly. But everyone knew, you know, 
this for reference, this wasn't it, but like, for example, like Sex in the City, everyone knew that. And I was like, well, I, okay, that that's fine, but we're friends, but no one knew, you know, Martin, for example. So that was, that was like something where it's like, that's a big part of socializing at work, talking about what you do outside of work. What are you watching on TV? What are you listening to? And people not understanding where your, your point of view or your, your reference point. So it's like, okay, well, that's a big part of my re- relaxation and leisure and that people at work don't get it. So I just can't talk about it. I have to just like, or watch what, what they're watching or, you know, partaking in. Um, so that, that's one big example that, that, that comes to mind. I mean, there's, there's also, you know, um, being single or not having kids um, have, you know, that was another one where people are talking about at some point, I remember working in New York City in, in my early 20s. And it's around 25, 24, everyone's getting married, everyone's getting engaged. And so their lives, their their um their lives at home, their life were changing, right? And so now it's like, oh, we're doing this. Now we're doing and if you're single, you're like, I, I don't fit into that and I don't know what you're talking about. Um or and, you know, as I got older working in the Midwest, everyone's married with kids and they're looking at me like I'm crazy because they're like, they're like, oh, you do stuff by yourself, you don't have someone. And like, it really messes with your mind. And then you just move and you're like, oh, I'm normal. Um, <laughs> or there's more. Along the way, did you have any moments where you were like, how did I get here? Cincinnati. <laughs> Cincinnati, Ohio. I, I knew how I got there because I was in living in Tampa, Florida, and I got promoted. And this is a big deal. It's going to be a director. It's going to be over like this huge account. And I got there and I knew no one uh, in Cincinnati, you know, outside of my coworkers. And I was like, what did I just do? I remember getting off the airport, off the airplane in the airports in Kentucky. And I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? (laughs) Um, This is, this is going to be different. And it was. um, And, but in those moments, looking back on it, at that point, I had moved a, a few times for work and for graduate school, and I had just taken it on as, you know what, we'll see what this brings. And if you don't like it, you don't have to stay. Yeah, I I, I somehow successfully worked for P&G for 13 years and never lived in Cincinnati. And yes. I, I, yeah, I don't, I'm like some sort of sorcery. I'm not sure, but it there's something about, but I did live in St. Louis. And of course I spent plenty of time in Cincinnati. And I know that like those cities are ones that sure the quality of life can be really good for some people, but if you haven't grown up there, it's really hard to make friends. If you don't have your kids like classmates at school and things like that, where you're integrating through other people, I feel like it can be a really difficult experience in terms of like Hey, I'm not from here. I don't have any other connections to here and, and, and moving into a new place. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the 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 tail telltale sign of a smaller market or a very close-knit market is people ask you what high school you go to. And I'm like, I'm not from here. I didn't go to high school here. So, you know, then it's immediately like, oh, well, you know, they kind of stand back a little bit. And um, you know, it's hard to break into those circles, you know. Luckily I didn't meet some great people there. Um, outside of work, a few, but it's uh, it was difficult. And so having, going into an, a smaller environment. So when I worked there, I worked in a sales office. It was about 50 people. But by the time I left, it was probably about 30 um, due to some re- reductions. And you don't have, I was the only 
I think I was one of two for half of the time. I was there for two years. Half the time, one of the years, I was the only female in leadership there, only Black person in leadership there. Um, and so, some again, it was isolating at times. And there were, you know, and not to mention, I'm, I was um, a little bit younger as a leader, you know, to be a director. And so always feeling like I had to prove my worth to be there. Um, not because I didn't, I couldn't do the job, but just to people, just the nature of, you know, they're like, who's this young person coming in here leading and thinking she's going to change things. And, um, and so there's, there's that pressure too to overperform, if you will, to make sure that you're not questioned. And that's a lot that weighs a lot on you. And when I left, that was the last job I had my last corporate job before I left, I didn't realize the amount of pressure and stress that I had on myself until I left and I felt this amazing like weight lift off me. And mm-hmm. so it was it was the epiphany of, you know, and at that time I made good money, had a nice car, you know, like I could buy whatever I wanted, you know, uh, within reason, whatever I wanted. And I was not happy, you know, it was. And so it was it work was too much a part of my life. I remember just going home every day and like watching TV for five hours to like numb out and have some wine, walk my dog. Um, but I, it's funny. I look at that now because after I had quit and I'd like, I barely watch TV anymore, but I used to watch TV like, like from five to 10 PM every, every day, you know, <laughs> and we're like, okay, time to go to bed and do this all over again. Um, so it was, it was a great, it was, I, I'm very thankful for my time there because I had so many epiphanies post there and it gave me the courage to actually make a change and eject myself, as I like to say, from that corporate environment and all of the things that I was told I should do. Um, but I can say, hey, I did them and it didn't work. So <laughs> it didn't work for me. It might work for other people, but I was very clear, like it didn't work for me. Yeah. You checked the boxes, you did the things you're supposed to do and you were successful at them and then made a choice to go a different way. Yes. So one of the reasons I started this podcast was you know, people like you who are are in these really cool jobs and you are, you know, what I've seen, um, knowing knowing Flower Hire and having them as a client before, like Yay! there are people in your organization that really look up to you. They see you, they see your confidence, they see how vibrant you are. And they're like, I want to be that way. I want to bring some like accessibility to the idea of like, if you don't feel that way now, that's okay, but like you can get there. And so I want to kind of go back a little bit too to like, what were some of the, you talked about like proving your worth, right? Being the only, um, in many different vectors can, you know, people do refer to it as like imposter syndrome, but at the same time, it's, it's just, if you're a, a blue square in a room of red circles, it feels like you don't belong because everybody else is a red circle. Right. What were some of the ways that that showed up for you in the proving yourself in the maybe overachieving or, you know, needing to kind of, we've talked about show up with the receipts all the receipts, time. Right. Um, that's so interesting. Cause like that, that analogy of being the blue square amongst the red circles where you would think like you're, it's the, you're not invisible or you're, but you're not seen at the same time. It's like, so you can be very glossed over, even though, it, which is so funny to me. Cause sometimes like, the, you know, I'm five foot 10, I'm black. I have, um, I have a huge smile. 
And I'm like, you don't, and people don't remember me. And I'm like, bro, like, how do you not remember me? <laughs> like, I'm like, <laughs> and so yeah. it's like that thing of like you, you being invisible, invisible at the same time is crazy. Um, but to that extent, like, how do you, I always made my work show up for me. I made my work almost like, irreproachable, you know, which is not a great thing. You know, it's, 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 it's a bit, uh, like I said, it's a lot of pressure and stress, you know, because you're like, I can't make mistakes or I have to be able to support my decisions. And so at the same time, you're growing in your, in your career, you're told like, you have to start putting yourself out there. Like, you're not going to just be, um, having people direct you and say, do this, do that. You're going to have to start at some point coming up with ways to direct or ways to, to build out your own strategies. And that was, is can be very scary, um, you know, because not only do you have to fit in in this world where you're seen but not seen, but then you have to because I feel like you're you're definitely seen when your stuff is not up to par, and even more so than you know uh, the majority culture, right? So for me, it showed up as like you know, just being very diligent with my work, making sure that all my like everything looked great, and I and that's a habit now that it's just part of me. Um, also, you know, if I had to do presentations, I did nothing on the fly, you know, um, everything was, was being prepared, going over things, checking and double checking, um, also finding, finding, um, you know, I call them like not necessarily mentors at work, but sponsors to you, you could run things by, cause sometimes they may be a peer in a different department or someone to just basically, um, you know, kind of va- validate what you're doing and say, does this sound right? Um, and those, those were things that it's just, it is extra work <laughs> in and of itself where sometimes, you know, you see other people come in and do things on the fly and not get things perfect. But again, the repercussions were different. And so, you know, knowing that and seeing that, then you, you, you know, you have to overcome that or encounter that or deal with it or just work your way, way through it. Um, that's, that was the learning that I had that kind of reinforced like having impeccable work, <laughs> Um, you know, not feeling like I had the, the grace to make very many mistakes. Yeah. And it's one thing to let your work speak for itself. It's another to feel like I have to let the work speak for itself, but I have to prove it over 10 times with 10 (laughs) times as much data. And I got all the backups and the appendices in my deck. I, you know, you asked me a question, I got it. I can answer it. And, and 10 other ones that you didn't think of. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I have to like think that that contributes a lot to the, the need to just zone out after work too, when you're constantly in protection mode, when yeah. you're in proving mode, when you're in, I got to spend five more hours on this than Joe sitting next to me would it takes a lot of energy. And when you get yes. home at the end of the day, it's like, I got nothing left. I got nothing. I got the couch. I got this. I got the, and I got the remote control. Don't talk to me. So what Takesha and I were talking about here was this kind of overworking, overproving, needing to back up your backup and have a backup for that as well. And oftentimes it comes up because you are different from the rest of the people in the room. When you're different, when your style is different, when your work style is different, when your appearance is different, when your upbringing is different from the other people in the room, this can create this kind of 
feeling like we need to prove something or constantly be on the defense. And frankly, a lot of times this is true. But what I want to point out here is that kind of this, this coming home at the end of the day and just crashing on the couch, oftentimes we think about this as a physical drain. You know, I'm exhausted. I need to veg out and uh, disconnect from the rest of the world. But what I've come to learn and understand about burnout is that it's not just physical. Sure, we might feel just physically tired at the end of the day, but we have to think about mental, emotional, and physical being all elements as a part of this. And in the research around burnout, they talk about physical exhaustion as being just that, right? We're tired. We're not getting enough sleep. We're not nourishing our bodies or moving in the ways that we should. And you feel physically exhausted. Mental exhaustion is a little bit different. And this is kind of a sense of, do I feel effective? Do I feel like I have the tools, the knowledge, the resources that I need to get my job done? Um, do I feel capable and competent? And when we don't have that, we can experience what's called like a more mental burnout, this feeling of inefficacy. And when it comes to emotional, this is really about motivation. It's about connection. Do you feel a sense of purpose in the work that you're doing? Do you feel connected to the people that you're working with? And oftentimes when we don't have that connection to the people or even a connection to the purpose, it can feel a little bit like a sense of cynicism of like, what is it? What does it even matter? Like, why should I do that? Or if you're in a situation where you're working really hard and the work that you're doing isn't showing up to people, you don't feel seen, you don't feel recognized, it can build that sense of cynicism of like, why am I working so hard when nobody seems to care? Or I'm working harder uh, toward a cause than the people that actually should really care about it. So consider for yourself, what does this kind of drain look like for you? Is there one where you really lean on more than the others? And that's a symptom that shows up that kind of can can point you in the direction of, of saying, maybe there's something that I need to change here. Maybe there's something I could change about my current role. Maybe something I can ask for in terms of how I'm working. Or maybe this really isn't a good environment for me. Gosh, I can't tell you how much I relate to the like go to the office, work, come home and like veg out on the couch because it's just like there's some some kind of like I just need to like dissociate from my life for <laughs> however many hours. And it and I look back on it now and I just feel like the like everything was colored with this like gray that, oh. you know, doesn't exist in the same. And you're one of the most vibrant people I feel like that I know. And you're just always doing things and having fun and having new experiences. So it's wild to think that that, that was such a huge shift. I tell you, I met a lot of my friends now or people that I've met since I call it post 40 in which people say you can't make friends when you're older. And I'm like, that's BS. But I always tell them like, you didn't know me before. I wasn't this light and bright and bubbly. I think I was on the inside, but you know, it didn't, it did not have as much opportunity to come out. And so I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm you'd be glad you know me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I could say the same thing. I mean, I I had friends, but like I just it it I feels so different now. So, yeah. I can, I can totally relate to that. So, as you kind of transitioned into the cannabis industry, I think it is like the coolest thing in the world that you started a magazine. Like how, I, like how did this come about? 
Tell me a little bit about why. <laughs> this this was my pandemic birth story. You know, people tell me like, <laughs> what, what, what came out of the pandemic for you? Oh, magazine, I birthed yeah. that. Um, Sour, <laughs> sourdough bread, or, you know, you can start a beautiful publication. Because I will tell you, like, Can of Curious is one of the most visually stunning pieces of like media that I've ever Thank seen. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is my business partner, Deanna. We we were working together at a co-working space and um, she had done some projects and some work um, for some of the clients I was working with uh, before. And, you know, pandemic, everything kind of stopped. The market research company I was working with, everything was put on hold. And we're like, you know, we're in our houses catching up on Zoom, Zoom chats and Zoom, um, you know, happy hours. And we're like, what can we do to work together? And I had the cannabis know-how. She had the design skill set. She also came at it from this point of like, I'm a mother. I have two young kids at home, you know, because they have to be homeschooled now. I work from home. She's a graphic designer. And I had a CBD cookie and it made me a better mom. It made me calm. But I don't want to talk to people about it because they're going to think I'm doing drugs. And we're like, how can we teach women in particular that this is not a drug. And one of the ways we came up was was like, okay, let's do a magazine, but let's let's make it very beautiful and very approachable and almost like be that resource like you're talking to your friend and give people the information they need. And then if they want to partake in cannabis, CBD, whatever, they have the information. We were just positioning ourselves as this like trusted resource. And so that's what we did. We started it. We started reaching out to folks to do interviews. We got a couple writers to help us, um, you know, conduct interviews and write articles because she'd worked on magazines before. I had never worked on magazines, but, you know, we, we figured it out. And part of, we almost need nothing to lose. So it's like, in terms of like figuring out the start, because people ask like, how did you do it? I'm like, just start. Like every, every time you do it, every issue we've had, and we just launched our, our ninth one, which is wow, three years later, they get better. We look back at the first one. We, oh, the first one wasn't that bad. But then we look now, we're like, it, it's gotten so much better. And um, it really taught me about just creating things. Don't wait for other people to create them. Like, if you don't put a, like, a financial outcome to it, now, mind you, we want to make money, we want to do things. But the, we literally did it just for the, the joy and the passion of creating it. And it has, like, paid off so much in that. And so... Fast forward a year, and I'm going to say we've been working on a magazine for a year, and I got this opportunity to work with Flower Hire, so still working in cannabis. And But at the time, you know, being an entrepreneur is tough. There's not necessarily um, consistency of money. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I need to make some consistent money, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But I had requirements in terms of, like, I did not want to go back into the old corporate system. I had talked to a few people. I was actually talking to to a company, a big CPG company right before, right at the same time as Flower Hire. And um, I'm so thankful that that did not work out because it would have, it literally was like going backwards, like talking to them about, you know, what they're doing. I was like, oh my gosh, like five years later, still doing the same things, you know? Um, But Flower Hire, one, it was like a really good fit for me because again, cannabis appreciated entrepreneurs. Um, I was their first marketing hire, like full-time head of marketing hire. And I was able to help them, like basically all my branding experience that I'd done, um, all my cannabis experience that I had working with with my business partner, 
um, to really elevate the look and the feel of cannabis. We were able to apply that, you know, in, in, with flower hire to um, really make it elevate jobs in cannabis. No, no pun intended. But <laughs> but we were like, my goal there is to elevate the brand, really humanize careers in cannabis and let people know that this is a real opportunity, that there are six-figure jobs. You can feed your family by working in this, in this um, industry. In addition to... It's a great place for a lot of people who feel that they can't be their full selves at work or who feel like I want to do more because cannabis, like I said, the industry is so new. We need people who are um, who are players and coaches and people who we've seen so many people accelerate their careers in such a short amount of time because the network that you build, but also your ability to make an impact really quickly is there. And I love all of that stuff. I want to go back to you a little bit here in terms of like thinking about taking breaks, um, taking career breaks or sabbaticals. (laughs) In one instance, you went back to school. That's obviously not a break break. Um, But what has been the role of, of taking that time away in your overall career, maybe in your well-being? It's, um, you, we don't realize how much we get into a routine. Uh, and I say a routine because it's almost like um, you don't even realize you're doing it. And so your mind, everything about your life is is just routine. And I think part of one of our core necessities is also some spontaneity. Um, and and every, it could look different for different people. But if you're in a routine and you feel like every day is Groundhog's Day and you have this yearning for something else, I think a break gives you that space to at least explore what that is. Even if it's nothing, you, I, I, you're always going to get something from it. Like taking a break from when I went back to school, you're not working, you're working on schoolwork, but you're not getting paid. You're, you're paying to go there, <laughs> if anything. So it's still a different, it doesn't, it, it still was a pressure valve release, you know, like mm-hmm. you're like, I'm, I'm taking in information versus outputting things, you know, and it's a, it was a time to, figure out what did I want to do next? Because I felt like I was, I couldn't move anymore. I didn't, I was a merchandise planner and I was good at it. It's a numbers job. And all I kept getting was, you know, more more opportunities for promotion within that. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And um, I saw school as the way out to explore something, to change careers. And that's what it was. And then when I quit my corporate job, I saw that as a time to like travel. I just felt this yearning to travel and figure out what was next. So it was a time to really just let new ideas come in and experience new things. And I do believe that, you know, when people say, how do you be creative? How do you, sometimes you have to do nothing and just let things come in or do only things that are, um, that are completely different or fun or, you know, healing to the soul or uplifting to the soul. And it gives your mind the break to, just be, you know, we are, I was listening to a podcast today actually about um, taking breaks to be, to find creativity. Like in those those spaces, you need to just be in your feminine energy of being instead of doing, whether that is just, you know, being present or, you know, being patient um, or being creative, but not doing and producing. Uh, And so I think that those breaks are just like rejuvenations for the mind. And I'm about to take, well, two week break <laughs> to go on vacation because I feel like I need, I need that mind rejuvenation. Um, and that also there's mind rest, like it's rest and rejuvenate, right? So 
Sometimes you just need to step away from the daily routine, the daily requirements, and just recharge with, um, and I say it's like doing nothing, but it's actually doing a lot. It's rest is so essential to, um, and I think we don't think about resting our brain. We think of resting our bodies, but like resting your brain, I think is essential. Yeah, Annoying. I that that break, and I think it's, you know, when we talk about, yes, certainly there's a rule for doing nothing, but having a new experience like going to another country or spending some time like working on a creative project, if that's not something you do in your your day-to-day work, all of that stuff, right? I think about it as like, you have to change the channel. Like if your brain yes. is on the same channel all the time, like you can still actively engage it while you step away from work, but choose a different channel, choose a different, oh. you know, media. I like that. I like that analogy. Change the channel. I have to change the channel. I'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> gotta yeah, exactly. I got to gotta change the channel, get on a plane. <laughs> yeah. So I would love for you to share a little bit about your personal journey as you have, you know, gained more confidence and, you know, kind of connecting with yourself. What has that looked like for you? Oh, Sunday, goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> We don't have the money. we don't have enough time, but um, it's 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 been a process of just I think very a lot of things a lot a lot of teachers a lot of guides and me just being opening open to doing to exploring the work of how do I connect better to my own desires what do I want my life to look like not what. I was told it should look like that's, that's really the work. It's like really connecting to, I called it my journey to self when I quit my job and was traveling. It's like, what does Keisha want? You know, like, how does she want to show up? How does she want to feel every day? Um, And it's a lot of, you know, we all know it's it's that inner child, Um, but like meeting her, talking to her and, and being willing to like comfort and soothe her to be able to let go of a lot of, you know, past um, hurts, um, past ways of thinking to get really comfortable. And so I say it's, I've done lots of things, you know, like I say, guides, like I've done, I've worked with coaches. I was going over, I have a, another laptop that I haven't turned on in like two years and I went to turn it on. And I found all this stuff and I was like, oh my God, I forgot I did this type of coaching, deep coaching. And I did attachment style work and I've done um, Enneagram with you. We've done some work together and um, multiple assessments through the career field. But I think in general, like in the, in the, in the private world, in your personal life, it is, it, and it's a fun journey. Like, I don't want to say it's like fun, fun, because sometimes you have to uncover things. But the more you get used to, like, don't be afraid of you, I, I'd say. Don't be afraid of what comes up because it can only make you better um, if that is your, your choice of, you know, getting out of your way, getting out of ruts. And so, um, you know, now I actually, today even, I had like a Reiki session. I This is my second time doing Reiki. And I was like, I just explore different things. And be like, oh, let's see, what's this like? And I found it really helpful. Um, I, I don't know. And it was distance Reiki too. So I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is. But I found it to be very helpful, um, very grounding. And so, and also just sometimes, it's just, sometimes having those like kind of forced points of space to not think 
and then see what comes to you. I am a very firm believer in that. Like sometimes just step away and our mind works so fast. We want to just have answers and do everything. And sometimes just pause and see what comes to you and then trust what comes to you. Don't question it, you know? Like, so, if, you know, say, hey, you know what? Today I wasn't feeling so great yesterday. And I was like, you know what? I just need to lay down because I don't feel good. <laughs> and I did. And then by that evening, I felt better. I mean, I, did, I took like one meeting because I had to. But other than that, I was like, cancel meetings. Because I was like, I just, I don't feel well. And so instead of trying to force and push my way through, I just relaxed. And then today I felt better, you know? So instead of trying to push my way through and then feeling sick for two or three days, it's like, okay, listen to yourself, listen to your body. And the way to do that is by... um understanding yourself and, and doing, doing the work. And people say the work. And I say, my work is like finding different guys, finding different teachers, finding different coaches, exploring and seeing what, what connects. And then I always say, take what you need, leave the rest on the table. You don't have to believe everything everyone says, but take what you need and then, you know, keep it moving. I want to call out just how cool I think Takesha's willing to throw herself into different things is this desire to kind of like stretch yourself and learn and push yourself outside of your comfort zone. I think it's one of the things that she and I have in common. And it's one of the reasons that we're such good friends and it can look very different to different people. So her and I both have talked about taking time away from work for extended amounts of time to kind of reset, reconnect with ourselves and, Understanding that that's not necessarily something that everybody has the privilege to be able to do. And so I want you to think about how can you kind of change the channel? How can you maybe try some different things like do a Reiki session or um, having the support of a coach and having that person to bounce ideas off of and um, really help you process out loud what's going on for you? Those things can be invaluable. So I want you to think about this not necessarily as how do I take a sabbatical, but how can I be really well-resourced in the ways that I'm learning about myself and experiencing myself and experiencing new things? And those are the things that can really help us reconnect with ourselves. Sometimes in order to be ourselves, we have to find ourselves. So ask yourself, what might I be able to do? What are some things that I can look up that might just take an hour or 15 minutes? It might be something new to experiment and try. Yes. And you and I met uh, while I was on a long sabbatical um, in Colombia, the country Colombia. And uh, you just typically have embraced travel as a part of your lifestyle. Like you said, you're taking two weeks away. I'm curious about the the role that was a little bit of a tangent, but as you think about the work that you've done, where how you've invested in yourself, the thing that I know we have in common is we kind of throw ourselves into experiences that might be uncomfortable because we know that there's growth on the other side. And I, I think that's a, a core value thing of like, I want to always be growing and therefore I'm going to toss myself over the edge of this thing that's going to be not fun in the process, but I'll be glad that I did it. How, what, what has been, what have been some of the things that have been really challenging in your journey of, you know, as, as you've put it before, kind of like building this sense of radical self-love. That it actually, you have to confront that your way of thinking is wrong. So 
one point, and this is just, this is one example. I won't go deep into it, but around dating, if you're saying, I was saying, oh, nobody, I'm too smart. I'm too this, I'm too that. Guys don't like me. And uh, my friend was like, those are all just excuses. And I was like, you're right. I am just coming up with excuses so I don't have to do anything. And so it's like, no, you're, what you're saying is not right. You're, you're, so it's challenging when you have to admit to yourself, like, yeah, yeah, I'm wrong. I just like, to, I just like to say these things so I don't have to do anything. That right there has been the biggest challenge, but also the, it causes the most growth. And if you have people around you that will call you to the carpet like that, man, you, you will, you can move faster to, to that, to that, to, um, you know, finding your truth, I'd say. Because I would say, you know, it's like, trust yourself. But there's sometimes you have to question yourself. Like, is this true? Or did I, am I just holding on to this so I don't have to do anything else? So I can just continue to, and the word, when she said excuse, that just clicked with me. It's like, that's an excuse. You don't, you're not really trying to change anything. And then also sometimes with the, in talking about radical self-love and loving yourself, it is about questioning, like, is this true? So if you have a problem with your body or whatever, you're like, is this true though? Or, you know, and, and most times the answer is no. And so you're like, okay, it's not true. But even so, like right now, this is the practice that I have. I just tell myself I love you all the time. I'm like, I love you, Keisha. I love you, girl. All the time. Like, I don't wait for someone else to do it. It's lovely, by the way. But I, I, that's part of my practice of it is I tell myself that all the time. And it's like something that you do because the practice of it is to accept myself no matter what, good or bad, achieving, not achieving, doing something, not doing anything, just because I'm here. And that, once you like really connect to that, you don't have to do anything to be loved by yourself, you know? Um, and I think that is very important. Like we kind of, we're socialized all the time to find the love of other people, find the you know, but it's like, you have to really connect to yourself too, in order to do that for other people. You have to accept yourself. And we are so accepting a lot of times of other people and their faults, but not our own. And why? <laughs> um, yeah, why not? And and in the excuse, the, the excuse could be, well, I just need to do this. I need to lose five pounds. I need to do, like, no, today, you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, gosh, not to say that I uh, relate, but I do in the sense of coming up with reasons not to maybe put yourself out there in the world. And it could be in a relationship or career or whatever, right? Because- Yes. What happens if you get that thing? And what happens if you get that thing and you get rejected or you do fully put yourself out there and you're, it's not wanted. Like that is Mm -hmm. scary. Yeah. But you have to come up to this point where you're like, so sick of where you are that you like, I got to move. So whatever happens, I'm going to be able to handle it, but I need to move. And and I always tell people like I it's I'm not like oh go do it go do it go do it I was like when you're ready you will move because it's, it's just it's naturally like some people have to get so sick of something um, that they want to make a change and and not everyone does and that's okay because let them let other people live their lives you just live yours you know um, that's something my business partner has been saying that I've been saying a lot it's 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 so freeing let them stop trying to conform and, you know, do if, especially if someone's not treating you the way that you want to be treated, you can leave. Stop trying to change them. Let them be them. You get the choice to be you. Um, and that, that is, 
knowing that and having that security that you always have an option. And this goes back to jobs too, maybe because I've had so many. Like I don't, I never feel like I can't ever get another one or try to work for myself or build one. You know, it's scary. Absolutely. And there's days where I'm like, oh my God, but I never feel like I can't do anything. Like I feel like I have value. Um, And so that, that allows me to kind of continue to sometimes take these leaps. Um, And I just took one where I just moved you know, states again. Um, and, and people are like, how do you do it? How do you, I'm like, I, I needed to, I needed to uproot myself because I needed to, I need to do some bigger things. And this is the only way it needed to happen. Um, and I've been fine so far. So I trust that I'll be fine again. <laughs> yes. Collect the evidence, make the, take the leap and collect the evidence that, Hey, I'm good. I'm still here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so as you've been developing this radical self-love you know, in yourself, what role has that played in how you show up in your career, how you're bringing more of yourself to the table, how you're letting things go more easily, um, feeling more confident in what you're bringing, letting your work truly speak for itself? Um, <laughs> there are a couple things. Um, one is sometimes you, when you just realize that Sometimes people are okay with mediocrity. And so you don't have to feel like, not saying you're being mediocre, but like, don't, the bar doesn't always need to be so high. You know what I mean? For everything. That's one of the things that I have learned. Um, so that I don't, I don't overwork. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and that's part of the overworking was part of like not feeling confident, not feeling, wanting to not, um, to have any questions about my work. Now it's like, this is what's needed and that's what I delivered and that's okay. And, and moving on. Right. Um, the other thing is, I think sometimes it's just experience. Like some things just take time to settle in. Um, and you know, so I talk to younger people at work and then like, they're so anxious about certain things. And sometimes I'm like, you just need to keep doing it because you know, the, the more you do it, the more, the, e- the more confidence you will develop. You know, it's not, it's not about ego. Like I have to know everything. No, use your resources. Um, and then you have to just, if people don't understand who you are, what you're talking about, what your point of view is, be willing to say, say what you need to say. And if they have questions, answer them point blank. Like that's it. You don't, everyone's not going to understand everything about you. Everyone's not going to understand everything about your culture but that doesn't mean that you should assimilate and bury it um, for their comfort because it's your, their comfort, your discomfort. And I am a firm believer that a lot of that discomfort and that suppression equals like, you know, stress and disease. And, you know, I'm, and I'm not trying to be sick. So <laughs> it's like, I'm going to show up as I am. And if you have a question, I'll answer it. Yeah. Or, tell, or tell you to Google it. <laughs> go to YouTube, go to TikTok. TikTok has everything, right? Go to Search it on yeah. TikTok. Yes, I do a lot of research on TikTok these days, but <laughs> I definitely remember the first job where I was out of the traditional, traditional corporate world and I had to launch a, a CRM system or something. And I was like, I'll Google it. Let me see what's out there. How would people do this? Somebody's written an article <laughs> about it. And it was just like one of those things where it's like, Wow, I'm really Googling something in my job. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It is. It is. 
There was some, a, some meme going around saying with someone recently was saying I'm older than Google. And I was like, that sounds old, but Google was just, is it 1994? Oh, God. Or 1998. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's not old at all. <laughs> that is wild. It really is not. Um, so <laughs> for somebody who feels like this idea that of radical self-love, for somebody who feels like that idea might be inaccessible, what would you say? How did you get started? Um, I wrote down what were the actions that, or almost like what were the areas that I wasn't loving about myself, right? And then what were the actions I needed to take to overcome them, right? So if I was talking about my body, I had like 100% body positivity. What did that mean? That mean no negative talk about my body at all. Like none. Just be thankful for it thankful you got something to get your ass out of bed and walk you around and can take you places and all these things. So a hundred percent body positivity. Um, the other, another one was like, I was very tied to achievements in terms of like my self-worth. So it was like loving myself no matter what good. And that's part of what I was saying earlier about like, just telling myself, I love you or whatever. I accept you because that was something from a, from a corporate standpoint, almost like I'm giving myself a uh, a quarterly review. <laughs> like, no, it doesn't work that way. And re- you don't need that. Like, you just need to be. You are. You are here. That's that's all you need to do. Actually, it's just be here. So I say, write down those things that you feel you don't love, or that you're, or, you know, that you feel like I need to get better at, and then, you know, um, or what are the things that are preventing you from doing certain things? You know, so like not having body positivity prevented me from like feeling comfortable going to the beach, which is crazy. It was all in my head. It was all in my head, like literally all in my head. And and that's something that I can say, see on the opposite side of it because now I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. But, um, you know, write down those things, come up with what can you do to ch- change them? And a lot of time it is, you know, people say laugh at affirmations, but it is changing your mind. You've literally been telling yourself in the background one thing. And so now you need to tell yourself a different thing. And um, once that switch is flipped, man, though, it's like magic. And it's it's literally one thing that I feel like you can completely control yourself. You know, trying to find a partner, trying to find a business, make a business work. Those are external. You have to, they involve other people usually and things like, you know, you know, involve, involve someone else. But loving yourself only involves you. And it is the best work that I think anyone can do because what stems from it. Um, is you give people permission to love themselves too. I don't I and I don't necessarily know how I do it, but like you say, I think it's just the light that you start to emit. <laughs> people are like, oh, it's that, you know? <laughs> um, you're just more content um overall. We do I have my days for sure, for sure. But overall, I kind of go back to that sense of, of, you know, sometimes I just I'm just here and that's enough. And that's okay. And I don't have to prove nothing to nobody. Yeah, that is really beautiful. And I was picturing you putting your strategies and your KPIs, your KPIs, 100% positive body positivity. How how am I going to measure it? I'm going to tell myself four times a day <laughs> that I love my body. Like, I, you made a strategic plan. Um your OGSM, if you will. 
Okay, so I know I made a joke about Takesha's action plan around how she was going to build radical self-love, but this truly is one of those things where if you can make it tangible, it's so much more accessible than saying, I'm going to shift from being hard on myself to start loving myself. And that kind of thing can feel really inaccessible. A lot of times with my clients, I hear things like, oh, I'm really hard on myself or I have a really harsh inner critic or I really push myself to do more and work harder. And I think this is one of the main reasons that oftentimes we don't feel like we can be compassionate with ourselves because we feel like maybe if I'm easy on myself, I'm going to lose my edge or I won't perform in the same way that I do. If I'm nice to myself, I won't be able to deliver everything that I deliver today because that that voice has been pushing me my whole life. And so now if I change it, what's going to happen? So I want to offer a reframe here. And it's because I think um, this idea of radical self-acceptance or radical self-love can feel really huge. And it can feel like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get there. And um, one of the things that I practiced and that I learned in my own journey, frankly, was like just getting back in touch with my own emotions. And I took a class on something called mindful self-compassion. And there's a lot of research around mindful self-compassion. And there's a methodology to it, which you can learn more about at the link in the show notes. There's a you know two to three to five-minute practice of a self-compassion break. But what I want to talk about here is that there's tons of research that shows that it actually has a positive impact, not only on our physical health and our mental health and our emotional health, But beyond all of those things, it's just as good for us internally and externally. And it actually leads to better better self-compassion leads to better communication and improved decision-making and enhanced resilience and becoming a more empathetic and a better leader. So all of those things that you're striving for at work are actually outcomes of being more compassionate with yourself. So there's tangible benefits to this and things that'll help you in your career and they'll actually help you perform better versus using that kind of inner judge over and over to to push yourself. And so this is a more sustainable long-term way that we can be successful. We can build this new muscle around self-acceptance and self-compassion and think about it very simply as like treating yourself the same way that you would treat a friend. When that inner critic or that inner voice pops up, if you made a mistake and you are beating yourself up about it, what would you say to a friend who is in that same situation or is beating themselves up about something? You would approach that situation very differently. And these little practices, noticing when that voice is happening, making those small shifts in that voice around how would I say this if a friend was saying the same things to me? These little practices, like Keisha was talking about, looking yourself in the mirror, reminding yourself how much you like yourself, these tiny little things actually help us develop new neural pathways. And it's like building a muscle. So if you can practice them over and over again, the hard things, the really heavy things are going to get lighter. It's really crazy about intentions. When you, you know, they say when, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, that's what happened. When I said I wanted to do this, I was in Colombia on one of my, you know, traveling in my countries. And this girl that I met traveling there, we ended up um, just doing some excursions together today. And she was like, I do this work. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And she gave me some things to do. She's like some mirror work, sitting in front of the mirror, saying these things, dancing in front of the mirror. And it works. Like, so I would say, like, if you're 
the, you take the first step, you know, the universe guy, whoever you want to call your friend, they will take, someone will show up to like take you to the next step. And um, it's just about taking the first step and that, you know, you know, I didn't have all the KPIs, but I did have a start. I had the first two. <laughs> I was like, no, because I, I, in my head, I was like, I don't understand this, the self, I don't understand it. I need more, like, what are the things you actually do? How do you yeah. do this? What's the how, you know? Um, it's not just bubble bath. It's, you know, like, so the, the first thing you do is you have to figure out where are the parts of you that you are not like loving and then address those. Cause the bubble bath ain't going to do nothing. If you just, <laughs> if you don't know, you know, why you're, why you're not loving yourself. Um, it's not going to magically make you love yourself more. <laughs> you're just going to get yeah. clean. <laughs> you're going to get clean, a little, little bubbly. <laughs> I, I so resonate though too. And I think a lot of people may find uh, some support, maybe an eye roll, because I think at the end of the day, people really just want like, tell me the one thing to do and I'll go do it. And this is a practice. As you said, it is a multiple times a day in small, small ways, but very tangible ways to build a new muscle. To sit and look at yourself in the mirror, to like remind yourself if you maybe had a shitty day that you're like, hey, you know what? I love you. I'm still here for you. You're good. You're good. Yes, you're good. I like that. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, you're still here. Yeah, okay. You're breathing. (laughs) <laughs> you're like, you know, um, and, and those things that it's, it's just paying attention to yourself. Um, one of the things too, I would suggest is like writing down all the things that make you happy on a piece of paper. And when you're feeling like terrible, go to that paper and do one of those things. You know, it sounds corny, but it, it really works because if it makes you happy, then, you know, sometimes you're just, you like need a little soothing and go do one of those things, you know, and what it's like taking a walk in nature. I used to love to walk my dog or polishing my toenails or, um, you know, crocheting. And then that like literally will kind of ease you back in to like, you know, feeling a different way. Um, so, um, but write that. I think a lot of people don't even write that list down of like, what makes you happy? What are some things that make you happy? And just you know, right now, keep writing, like write 20 things. And even if it's small things, like I loved, um, you know, going for a drink with a friend. Um, sometimes I feel like going to, or just going to sit at the bar. I love that now. I used to never, I used to be afraid to go sit anywhere by myself. Now I'm just like, what? Like, sometimes I don't want to go with people. I just want to be with myself. <laughs> I don't want to talk, you know? And that's usually a decompression moment. You know, the introvert in me needs sometimes some downtime. And it's like, I don't want to talk. I just want to sit here. I don't, I sit at the bar. I have my drink. I don't even have, um, or I'll eat. I don't even have my phone out because that's not the purpose. It's literally to do nothing but outside. And so I want people around me, but I don't necessarily want to be talking to them. <laughs> so, and that's one of the things I like. But then there's other times where I'm like, I need someone to like have shenanigans with, you know, <laughs> like yeah. you can like, um, you know, be silly and things like that. So. I think there's something so like nurturing about taking yourself out somewhere and doing something solo. It's like a lot of times people might say, I I need to decompress. I'm going to do it at home, Um, you know, in sweatpants. I don't want to see anyone or do anything, but there's just something that's very, there's a very different energy about going and doing that somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're like out. So sometimes you just need to be out. 
you know, again, it's part of like, I think breaking the routine. That's one of the main things I'll like pick somewhere new. Or if I have a, excuse me, a favorite place, then I'll go to that favorite place, you know, yeah, chill and unwind and connect with my favorite bartender. (laughs) I love it. Um, Okay. So we could talk forever, but I want to close out with a question that I will be asking everybody, which is what does it mean to you to be yourself at work? To be myself at work, it means um, showing up as myself without feeling the need to conform or suppress who I am to like the, the dominant culture. It means being okay to exist and express my differences without like fear of um, repercussions. That's what I mean. And I think the repercussions are like, you know, not feeling like, oh, I won't get promoted or I won't be um, a part of the special project or I won't be, you know, tapped to go to this meeting because of little things like the way that I wear my, my hair or the way that I dress. Um, or the things that I talk about, or, you know, the fact that my, my, um, family situation may be different than everyone else's, you know? And so they're all talking about their kids and I'm talking about my dog. (laughs) You know, I want to be feeling okay with those differences and, and not feeling like I need to not talk about them or hide them. Um, because people may not understand me. That's, that's what it means to me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. It was lovely to see you as always. Thank you so much for having me. I I think you're going to be an amazing podcast host. You already are. And I can't (laughs) wait to hear all the other episodes. Well, and I know that there are many people who will listen to your wisdom and find something that they can relate to that inspires them, that can help them maybe take a small action tomorrow yeah that's all i'd say it's a little bitty one (laughs) yeah exactly all right thanks keisha thank you i hope you're able to take a lot away from that episode we covered a lot of ground Uh, just a couple of things to wrap up and some resources that i'll offer you We talked about paying attention to your energy, both in new jobs and new companies and seeing how the environments impact you, but also thinking about your physical, mental, and emotional energy. And there's a great podcast about burnout and the stress cycle, and they reference some of these symptoms of burnout as exhaustion, cynicism, and efficacy. There's some really great information in there to kind of continue that practice of paying attention to what's going on in your body. We also talked about self-acceptance and self-love and self-compassion, and I'm going to link the website for Mindful Self-Compassion and also a quick audio practice that you can try. And a self-compassion break takes, like I said, two minutes, three minutes at the most, and it's something that you can learn, make your own, and incorporate it into your day-to-day. And last, I want to leave you with a little nudge to try something new. Change the channel and experiment with some new ways to learn more about yourself or find new ways to practice true self-care, going beyond the bubble baths and the spa days. And don't get me wrong, I love a spa day, but 
Think about what it is that you need and what are some new things that you can maybe explore and experiment with that are going to meet your needs. Thanks so much for listening to Working Your Way. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes, show notes, additional resources, and more at selfatwork.com forward slash podcast.